Once cigarette smokers got banned to the dark alleys of the streets behind the buildings in order to smoke, a whole new trend poked up, e-cigarettes and vaping. It was called a safer way to smoke. It was supposed to help people quit smoking. But the fact of the matter and the frightening fact of the matter is that it's not safer and it's not helping people quit smoking. If anything, people, are, people who never smoked before wouldn't have considered smoking are actually starting vaping. Why? It's cool. It's a technology that young people are picking up on. It fits them perfectly. It's electronic. They can personalize it. There are competitions, competitions with people competing. It's called cloud chasing. This is just the next level of dangerous behavior that young people are daring their bodies to be able to overcome. It's affecting their memory. It's affecting their attention. It's affecting their lungs. Once they're damaged their lungs, those lungs never come back. And parents don't realize the dangers of it. So I wanna talk about the myths. I wanna talk about what you need to know about vaping before it's too late. I'm Sarah Heiner. This is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget at the end to rate and review us because that's how more people can hear about it and we can save some more lives. Thanks so much. I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottom Line Inc., the number one provider of expert sourced, expert vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Melinda Ix, associate professor of health promotion in the College of Education and co-director of tobacco policy for Breathe in the College of Nursing at University of Kentucky. She's the director of both Tobacco-Free Take Action and Go Tobacco-Free, two initiatives to promote evidence-based tobacco policy. She teaches undergraduate and graduate courses in assorted areas of health promotion, and her research interests are focused on tobacco control, including youth and young adult tobacco prevention and empowerment, and use of emerging tobacco products. You can learn more about Melinda and her work on University of Kentucky's website at education.uky.edu, and you can follow her on Twitter at I Can End the Trend. So welcome, Mindy. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this important and necessary topic. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, uh, I, you and I were just joking about for good and for bad, this is not an area that impacts my life and I'm not surrounded by it. So this, a lot of this stuff, it's the headlines I've been reading. I see all the, the controversy, the deaths, and I realize this is something that I have to get educated about. Um, so all this, I'm, I'm looking forward to all this new information that we can bring to people because I think there are a whole lot of people who aren't realizing how dangerous this is and how growing a trend it is. So let's go, let's go fix them. Sure, and I mean, I think some of the recent data came out and we now know that more than five million young people are using e-cigarettes or vaping and, you know, that's something that's really concerning, especially if we think about one in three high school seniors are currently using. So they've used in the past 30 days. And e-cigarettes are now the most commonly used tobacco product among middle school, high school students and college students. And so this is some, certainly something that we need to keep talking about and make sure that the facts are out there. Well, and I think what I really want to focus on is myths and misunderstanding through the course of our conversation, because... I think there's a perception that vaping is safer than cigarettes, that it's, it's a good tool to get people to stop smoking, that it's a good substitute, that it's not as dangerous as it is. And I want people to realize, no, you can't necessarily believe that the innocence of these. Um, and it was interesting to me. So I have a 22-year-old daughter. I have two daughters, but I was asking my 22-year-old the other day about 
if there were many people at her office who vaped, because I said I was going to be talking to you today. And she started running through her head, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. She rattled off a whole long list of it. And I said something about my concern about the dangers of it. And she got so indignant at me that, like, Mom, it's not that bad. And it was shocking to me because this is a child who's health conscious, she's educated, she's, you know, does not at all a smoker, not at all a substance user ever, ever, ever in her life. And yet she had this presumption that vaping's so normal, that this seems to have absolutely just integrated itself into the young person's culture as absolutely acceptable and absolutely normal. And I thought that was shocking to me. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the companies that sell these products are really good at doing that, and they have. They've made these products be mainstream, and I think that's what's different. And, you know, of course, we're still concerned about general tobacco product use and combustible cigarette smoking, but we've seen a decline with those products. And so now we're dealing with very specific at-risk populations to get them to quit. With e-cigarettes and vaping, you know, like you said, everyone is using them in terms of the different categories of people, the popular people, the athletes, the straight-A students, and, and a lot of that is due to some of the misperceptions that are out there, and these misperceptions are being perpetuated by the companies, right? So, okay, they want us to think that they're safer, they want us to think that they're cool, that they're fun, and they've had really great marketing schemes to, to make us think that. So I think these kinds of conversations are important. We have to ask our young people what they're seeing, what their friends are saying, and then talk to them about it. Well, and I think that parents were not even seeing the messages that are going to kids. So, you know, years ago they banned, you know, advertising to kids for, you know, sugared cereals on Saturday morning TV and things like that. And the tobacco companies and all their image advertising has been under the uh, microscope for many, many, many years. And now they're doing these, these um, vaping companies and Juul, et cetera, are doing the exact same thing. They're targeting the young people with image advertising to make them think that they're cool and the social media influencers. And as you said, the celebrities and the people these kids are looking up to are all using it and demonstrating and, and showing that this is a socially acceptable behavior. Yeah, it was interesting. I was on a panel yesterday, and there was a high school student who, when asked why this was a problem in her school, she said, well, it's almost like you're not cool if you are not doing it. And she said, you know, they have grown up in a generation where they've learned the dangers of smoking combustible cigarettes and some of the other tobacco products. And, you know, it's almost like we've created this wonderful social, um, you know, social influence related to combustible cigarettes, but that has not translated to these newer products. And so in her mind, she said, you know, our friends would say they would never pick up a cigarette, but they do not understand why it's a big deal for them to vape or use an e-cigarette. And, um, you know, just hearing someone who she said, you know, I'm a straight A student, I'm an athlete. And even I have felt really pressured to use these products. And her mom works for an advocacy initiative, you know, so this is in her face all the time. But that peer pressure is real. And we need to make sure that our youth not only understand the facts about these products, but they have the skills necessary to address it 
when they're faced with those kinds of decisions. Well, it is, and you know, there's there's an aspect to this that again, adults aren't realizing. Uh, older adults, the I'll call it the gamification of this whole thing, that mm-hmm. the electronics, the personalization of the e-cigarettes that they can, you know, they plug it in. It's this little electronic thing. There's this, the, what's it called? Cloud chasing competitions mm-hmm. where they're, ba- you know, it used to be cool. You'd blow, you know, French rings or, you, you know, you'd French inhale a cigarette or you'd blow smoke rings. And now there's the gamification of vaping because they literally have competitions for, for yes. smoking. They do, and uh, she even brought that to the attention of the adults in the room yesterday. She said, I could go on my Snapchat right now and show you five people that are participating in this contest, and they're likely in school while they're doing it. And they're making money, right? I think they they win prizes. Yes, yes. And and speaking of money, um, it was interesting when we were talking with her about where they're getting these products, she said, you know, a lot of the older students are selling them. And so they're selling them to make money. They're also using some of the prize competition to buy fancier products that they can then sell at a higher cost. So there are a lot of different things going on with this issue in schools that I don't think most adults are aware of. Right. And again, always, I'll call it the undercurrent, the black market, even though I think you have to be, is it 18 or 21 to buy this? It depended on the state, I think. Um, yeah, so each state has its own regulation. Um, Jewel actually adopted a 21-year-old policy a couple of years ago, but it uh, until about a month or two ago, it was pretty easy to still go online. Uh, but in some of our emerging research, we found that among high school students who are transitioning to college, so most of them were between 17 and 18 when they started, they, I think 70% were saying that they bought them at a gas station or convenience store. So they're also buying them in places that they're not really supposed to be, but no one's checking. No one's paying attention. And even online, you click a button that says, oh, do you promise you're 21? Yeah, sure, okay. Exactly. Right, fine. And there's no, no double checking. There's nothing that goes on. It's just a ridiculous process. All right, so let's talk about the, I'll call it the myths and the presumptions that have gone on with this. And starting right off the bat with the you know the early presumption that vaping was going to help people quit smoking and there been there were early studies that said that it did that it was effective at getting people to quit smoking but i couldn't tell from the research report whether that was quit use of nicotine or they were simply shifting from combustibles to vaping so what's the truth on that does it really help people quit Right. So what are the companies want us to believe? Of course, it helps people quit. And, you know, there are certainly instances where adult smokers who have used, who have smoked cigarettes for years have uh, tried an e-cigarette and it's helped them to reduce their smoking. But the important message to get out there is that there's mixed research on there out there on e-cigarettes as quitting age. And at this time, they are not an approved tobacco treatment approach. And so, you know, as a scientist, as a researcher, we want to promote evidence-based practices. Now, there was a recent study from the New England Journal of Medicine by Hajek and colleagues that came out in 2019. And this was a, a well-done study. So they reported greater cigarette abstinence. It was about 18% among the patients that were randomized to e-cigarettes compared to 10% that were randomized 
to nicotine replacement products, which is kind of what we have been recommending for adult smokers. Um, but there are a few important things to point out in, in this particular study. This was in combination with at least four weeks of tobacco treatment counseling. And so a lot of times when you hear people talking about quitting smoking using e-cigarettes, they're trying to do it on their own and they're not using that in combination with counseling. And so they're also not doing it in a step-down approach, which is how traditional tobacco treatment is set up. Um, the other thing is this was with adults. And so we, you know, I think there are two separate conversations. This potentially being a regulatory product, maybe in the future, if, if the companies are willing to jump through the hoops and go through the testing. But then there's the conversation about youth, which is really, I think, where we need to focus our attention right now. But the other thing that was really interesting with that study is that after one year, 80% of that e-cigarette e group were still using e-cigarettes compared to about 10% of the NRT group. So this is really concerning because of the evidence that we've had come out linking the e-cigarettes to heart attacks, pulmonary disease, and, and so, you know, they're likely not stopping the nicotine coming from the e-cigarettes or using that e-cigarette device long-term. Yeah, and I, w I want to talk about what some of those other health risks are. So, yeah, I mean, the something that I saw was that um, again, they thought they would help people quit smoking, but in fact, there is an increase. There are young people who had never smoked before that are now taking up vaping, so that there is exactly. an increase in usage. Exactly, and interestingly, among young people, those who have never used another tobacco product and they've only initiated with e-cigarette or vaping, they're four times more likely to initiate combustible cigarette smoking as a young adult. Say that again. So if they start, if they took up vaping, then they will, I'll call it, graduate to combustibles? <laughs> right. And a lot of that has to do with them craving additional nicotine and, um, you know, perhaps being in social circles where people are using multiple products, which we call polytobacco use. So that's putting them at risk for even more health consequences looking down the road. So, well, and there was an interesting thing that you and I talked about um, in terms of dosing, right? So everybody knows... A pack a day is a pretty darn aggressive um, use of cigarettes, right? And two packs a day, forget it, you're pretty much chain smoking, right? Um, but it, so people think that the vaping is lower dose, but in fact, it can be much higher dose per vape, and they can go through, I'll call it more than a pack of cigarettes very easily a day. Right. So um, these newer pod-based devices, and these are some of the companies like Juul, Soren, Six, they are using what we call salt-based nicotine. And so the salt-based nicotine is less harsh and easier to inhale. So if you think of an individual who maybe tried a combustible cigarette and they took a puff and, you know, they're coughing, it's really irritant on their lungs, that's actually how the initial e-cigarettes nicotine e-liquid was designed but the salt-based nicotine makes it much easier for anyone to pick it up and use it and not have a reaction so that's one thing the other thing like you mentioned these small pods can contain the same equivalent of nicotine as a pack or more of traditional cigarettes so it's much more concentrated and we're hearing that youth who are current users are using one, two, maybe even three pods a day once they become dependent on these products. 
So that nicotine concentration is super high, and they have no idea how much nicotine they're getting. Right. So important for people to realize this is these are incomparable. It isn't. It's not like a a trading. You know, so you quit smoke, you quit combustibles, and you're moving to vaping, and then you move off. They're increasing their their dosing. They're taking. They're almost getting more nicotine in. And then what impact is? So these things also people may or may not realize the fruit flavors. Like these come in in you know punch bowl, red. You know, it's almost back to like you know Kool Aid flavors of what these things are coming in. And does that does it taste good? So it's like I could either have a piece of candy or I could take a hit of a vape and get, you know, a moment of, you know, cherry flavor in my mouth? Right. Some of them don't really have a taste, but then others have just a light sense of fruit flavor. Right. Uh, so that certainly, you know, has been used by these companies to get youth interested in the product. I think the last time I looked, there were over 15,000 different flavors. I can't even name, you know, hundreds of those and why we would need 15,000. But they right. are <laughs> definitely geared towards candy like gummy bear, cotton candy, um, fruity flavors like fruit, mango, banana, and then really random things like zombie dust, unicorn poop. You know, those are certainly not products that your typical 45, 50-year-old adult is probably gravitating towards. Uh, yeah, no. That reminds me of the Hogwarts jelly beans from many years ago. None of those were anything I'd want to eat either. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so so there's the there's no hurdle. It's interesting. There's no hurdle to them using it, right? There, with combustible cigarettes, c- smokers be- developed a stigma, right? They they became outcasts when they got kicked out of buildings and they got kicked out of smoking everywhere. So now they were huddled out on the street in the corners, kind of as outcasts. And there's just no hurdle. It's delicious flavors. Kids are doing it in the back of the classrooms. It's socially access- acceptable. There's competitions for it. It's like it's a perfect storm of the new hot toy for these kids. Right. And I think they're easy for them to get at this point. Right. So all of those things have created this e-cigarette epidemic among youth that honestly, I don't think anyone could have predicted this to the extent of where we are today. So let's talk about what some of the other dangers are. Again, people have this perception that vaping isn't as bad for you. So what about the other toxins that are in vapes? We talked about nicotine, and, you know, nicotine, it is a drug. It does spike their blood pressure. It increases their heart rate. And at these increased doses, puts them even more at risk and in young bodies, yes? Yes, and the other thing that's really important to think about with nicotine with young people is their brain is developing until at least the age of 25, and so the nicotine can impair things like memory, uh, cognitive learning. It can increase the risk for mood disorders, impulsivity. And so that nicotine has a direct effect on young people's brains. And does that, once you do that, this is, this is literally changing the brain. It's not like you can fix it. It's not like it can come back from it. Um, right. It is changing the synapses in the brain, and that is not something we can change. And then I also read that it, it's creating attention issues. There was, some, there was a profile that I read on some kid who, once they started using it, like they couldn't sit still. They couldn't pay attention in class anymore. Went from a you know, straight-A student to you know, grades plummeting because they just like, were so addicted to the next nicotine hit. Yeah, and it's so sad. And I, I always picture this 
12-year-olds sitting in class who really cannot concentrate on the content that they're being taught for these tests and because they are totally dependent on these products and that is all they're thinking about is when can they get their next hit. Um, and, you know, that is because their brain has been rewired. I think that's something that schools and teachers need to really think about. You know, a lot of these young people, as they start using these and become dependent, they're not using it in class or sneaking off in the bathroom to really kind of break the rules and defy authority. They're likely doing that because they really cannot get through the day without using it. Right. Again, because the dosing is so high, they get addicted really fast. Right. And how about the other toxins that are in there? The carcinogens, the, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, I read something that diacetyl that mimics butter. It's like popcorn lung. I don't know if you've ever heard of popcorn lung that people get from um, microwave popcorn, actually, where it's basically, you know, coats, coats the lungs, um, damages yeah. the cilia. So, right. So there was a study several years ago, and they looked at different flavorings. And so the diacetyl is what you'll find in the flavorings of the e-liquids. And so they found that about 78% of those that they tested actually had that chemical. And that chemical had previously been linked to what they call popcorn lung, um, which is basically a lung disease that destructs the airways and makes it really hard to breathe. And the unfortunate thing about this um, popcorn lung, if you will, is that it doesn't have a cure. And so once that damage is done, it's done. And so it really mimics what we've seen happen with combustible cigarette users with COPD and emphysema. Um, It starts impairing your breathing and making it really difficult to get that oxygen. Now, again, when I looked at the research and was, was preparing for this, I saw a number of reports that said, yeah, the chemicals are in there, but in minuscule amounts. Now, does that mean per hit it's in minuscule amount? I mean, I always get bit, get skeptical when I see research like that and the rationalization of, well, it's just a little bit of poison. You'll hardly die at all from it. If the body's not right. able to cast it off, and oh, by the way, they're using one, two, three, four pods a day, that's all accumulating. So any, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think, so there's so many issues with a lot of the research out there. Um, A couple of things, you always need to look to see who's funding the research to make sure it's not coming from a biased company. And the other thing is, you know, because these products are not regulated, and you could not pick up 10 different products and say for sure that you know exactly what chemicals are in those products, but it makes it really hard to compare and contrast. And so uh, the other thing is, like you mentioned, we are we talking about one little puff versus four pods in one day. So that certainly, um, you know, changes the exposure to the different chemicals. And I think that when you hear people talking about the misperceptions of these products, they'll say, well, they're less harmful, right, than combustible smoking. So I always like to say that we talk about less harmful and we talk about harm less. And there are over 4,000 chemicals in combustible cigarettes. We have, you know, over 50 years of research showing these harms, the health consequences, the users and non-users. But we are really quickly learning that these e-cigarette devices are not harmless. And they're not harmless to the user or the bystander. So while they may not have 4,000 chemicals, 
Um, you know, there are chemicals that have been identified that, like formaldehyde, acrolein, um, propylene glycol, and some of the chemicals are already known carcinogens. So it's just that argument of why would we want to be putting these into our body? Well, and then again, you made the comment, but I'll, I'll kind of underline it here, that a great percentage of the liquid being used or the pods being bought are not from, um, I'll call it reputable or controlled companies. So there's a whole lot of black market going on here. So you have no idea what's in the pods and you have no idea of any quality control, what's being used as fillers or thickeners or transport agents or anything else in there. Yeah, and even the companies, that kind of the big companies, there's nothing that says they have to list the ingredients on their in their products. So um, until we get to that point, you honestly have no idea what you're getting in pod one versus pod 10. Now, okay, so let's talk about this. So the other interesting thing, so parents need to understand, because they keep thinking this isn't as bad. I saw that a lot of, a lot of parents are more tolerant of this with their kids. But mm-hmm. this this is bad. Like, <laughs> how do I get these parents to get it? Yeah, I mean, I think what's concerning is we're seeing short-term consequences um, and long-term potential consequences of youth who haven't even been using these products for very long. So, you know, you think of your pack-of-day smoker that's been using for 20 years, and, okay, people will say, I get it, they're at risk for lung cancer. But we're talking about kids that have been using these products for a couple of months, and they're seeing signs of, you know, respiratory distress, seizures, um, you know, all kinds of things that, while we still need to gather more data and look at longitudinal evidence, I think we have enough to show us that something's going on, that there's no reason young people should be using these products. And again, what scares me, in addition, is just the whole brain damage that it's happening. Right. If they can't right. think and they can't remember and they can't pay attention, what are the ki- these kids going to be in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? Like, yeah, that is definitely scary. And I think now um, some of them that have been using for a while and they can tell a difference in themselves, I think they're certainly concerned and thinking, you know, what have I done? And I wish somebody would have talked to me about this a couple years ago. All right, we're going to get to the what do I do about that in one second. Um, the, so let's talk about pricing also, cause I also, I was shocked, you know, to me, one of the big hurdles, I hear people that want to, want to quit smoking and then they complain about money and I go, do you know how much money you could save if you stopped smoking? Like you're, this is crazy. You're complaining on both sides, right? Don't be stupid. So, but vaping is actually cheaper than cigarettes. Yes. So, well, okay. So that's a difficult one to compare and contrast depending on where you live um, because, you know, some cities and states have really, really high cigarette taxes. Others don't. Kentucky, where I live right now, um, we're one of the lowest. And so, you know, I think it's a hard comparison, but it also depends on how many pods the people are using so if they're going through one a day versus four so a starter pack for a typical e-cigarette device like the pod based versions is about $35 and that comes with the device itself and it comes with four pods 
And um, the interesting thing is they're really easy to find coupons for about $15 off for these starter kits. So it ends up only being, I say only, but being about $20. When I was 12, I didn't have $20 laying around. So, yeah, no kidding. Um, I don't know how they're finding the money for these things anyway. But they are very accessible and cheaper in comparison for some young people, depending on where they live. Uh, yeah, I mean, around here, I think it's about $10 a pack. I think I, I read a stat, now this was on some vaping website, that on average, people spend about $1,800 a year for cigarettes versus about 750 for vapes. But again, it depends on what their dosing is. Um, right. What, we ask some of the young people when we go into classrooms, you know, how much, how many pods are you using, uh, how much are you spending, and so we estimated that they were using about a pod a day. I think it came out to be fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred dollars. But again, I think that just depends on how much they're using. It depends on if they're buying it at cost from you know the convenience store, if they're paying more money for it from a, an older student. And the thing that we do know is with traditional tobacco control and combustible cigarettes, when we raised taxes, it did decrease use and that decreased among young people and it decreased among adults when you and say so that again that, when you did what it decreased use um when taxes were raised got it okay right and so that, that strategy is something that we know that works and that's why a lot of advocates are pushing for um you know taxing on these products right well they um and how about i've heard about that they now have these disposable sticks so you don't have to buy the whole, the whole um, kit, I'll call it, but it's just like a disposable 35 hits and you're done. Yes, and, and I don't know. We haven't really heard young people using those as much, but that isn't to say that they won't take off. I mean, you know, I think that brings up a really good point that these companies are always so many steps ahead of us. They have 20 products in line ready to come out. And, you know, trying to think about what will the next big thing be. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with those products. Well, and frighteningly, I know the cigarette makers were always some of the best marketers out there, as, as sad and true as that is. All right. So, yes. let's, so what should parents do? I mean, so, I mean, first of all, what are the telltale signs? Can you tell that your kid is vaping? Can you smell it? Can you use their behavior? You know, it used to be like, look at their fingers. You could smell the cigarettes out of them. Like, how do I know my kid's vaping? Right. I think for those who are just getting started or trying, it's a bit more challenging because they're so easy to hide and conceal. Um, you know, you might smell fruity flavors. If they're using, it's always good to look for discarded pods or wrappers. I always say, you know, what's in your child's backpack? Is it really school supplies? And you know, just parents need to be aware of what these products look like because they come out with new designs. Um, for example, there are things that look like key fobs or they look like the little wallets that go on the back of your cell phone or they can hide in your winter gloves. So parents need to be vigilant in terms of keeping updated on, on how these products are shifting. Um, in terms of kind of symptoms that might be exhibited by their kids, you can look for moodiness, irritability. I know that's challenging when we're talking about adolescence, but you know, if it's something that 
it's out of character for them. Um, the other thing is looking for isolation, you know, kind of not wanting to be involved in things that they were involved in before, and some of that has to do with the fact that it might be harder for them to use these products while doing so, them wanting to be alone or seeming like they're hiding something. And so, I mean, those are some of the things to look for, but it's not always easy. And there are parents who are amazing parents who are really trying and they still have a challenge, but just being vigilant and having open communication is a great first step. And how should they talk to their kids? Because you never want to, like, I remember um, someone saying, when you talk to your kids about drugs, the worst thing you should do is say, drugs will kill you. Because then they'll mm-hmm. try it and they didn't die and now you're a liar. I know if you say, you know, drugs are, it's bad for you or vaping's bad at you, that now the, the parent is judging the kid's thing. So how can right. parents talk to their kids? So I think that being non-judgmental is a perfect first step and having those open lines of communication. Right now with so much media attention, it's a great opportunity for parents to just say, hey, you know, what's going on in your school with vaping or e-cigarettes and just having that open and honest conversation and even asking them, have you tried these and what did you think? And then not freaking out when they say they've tried them. Um, But, you know, making sure that the parents also know the facts. And there are some really great resources out there now by the Surgeon General's website, the Truth Initiative, Um, The FDA does have some great fact sheets. So we have resources out there to help educate parents. Um, The other thing I think is really important for parents to know is that there are quitting resources out there. So let's say you find out that your child is using and they're dependent. What do you do? And so um, ensuring that they have those resources accessible and along with quitting, just recognizing that it's going to be a challenge. You know, if you catch your child using these and you scold them and you punish them, that's not really going to get rid of their dependence. And so how can you support them and help them get through that physiological withdrawal? Well, and it's, it's physiological, but is there also the emotional social withdrawal? Because it's the whole act of doing it is a social connection and they feel cool and that they may have developed different friends that there's a whole other level that they need to support these kids in um you know to me it's not like other substance abuse where they're i'll call it medicating their emotions away or you know they've gotten caught in other other behaviors in this case there's just something that everybody's doing and now you're telling me i can't do it Right. It's going to make it much more challenging for them to quit when they're in circles where people are still using them and, you know, it is kind of the pressure to use. So that's definitely an important conversation to have. You know, that's why building refusal skills and talking through scenarios that they might come up against becomes really important. And whether that's with the parents or that's with teachers or, um, you know, young mentors that they look up to, those are really great skills to build in all of our young people. All right. And so tell me about the programs that you're involved with at University of Kentucky, um, the peer prevention program, I can't, I can end the trend. Tell me how you're, how you're dealing with it at the, I guess, the older teen, young adult level. Yeah. So we realized a couple of years ago that to truly make an impact on this issue, that we have to have a multi-pronged approach. 
And so I work with college students who are tobacco free ambassadors on UK's campus. And they actually help promote our policy and tobacco treatment resources among all of the individuals on our campus. And they were the ones that came to me and said, you know, we're seeing so many people our age and our younger siblings use e-cigarettes. What can we do? And so we decided to develop a peer e-cigarette prevention and empowerment program. And it's called I Can End the Trend. And it's really an, an approach where a we definitely are giving them accurate information, but we're also in schools trying to empower this next generation of young people to want to do something about it. So whether that's in their own personal life, in their schools, in their friend group, or even in their community. And with our approach, um, you know, we focus on skill building and we try to make it as interactive as possible. So college students are going into schools across Kentucky and we're in elementary, middle, and high school and they're having really open conversations with these young people so that they feel like they can share. They feel like they can reach out if they have a question or follow up with them if they are looking to get involved and it's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my career. That's awesome. So are they helping these kids find more healthful options you know because again you need to substitute so if i'm taking nicotine because either it calms me down or it wakes me up whatever the heck it does um that you need to have some substitute for it other ways to help yourself feel calm other ways to help yourself be alert other ways to you know help yourself with your fidgeting because we all fidget Um, but to help them understand and find alternates that are more healthful and less self-destructive? Yeah, so that's such a great point. (laughs) And I'll tell you, when we first started out, we were thinking of it as truly a prevention program. And so we hadn't considered incorporating more treatment approaches, really, right, for those who are using. So when we piloted it last spring in a freshman class, we gathered feedback because we are trying to have this be, you know, an evidence-based program. But we got a lot of feedback from the high school students saying, well, what do I do if I'm using? How do I deal with it? So we now have a section in the presentation where we talk about that. We talk about how to manage cravings. We talk about, um, you know, consequences in your life and other choices that you might make instead. So that has really been a driving factor of, especially when we're working with high school students of how we approach the program a bit differently. Um, The one thing I'll say is, you know, schools kind of want an easy fix. They want to say, I've done a lesson, we're good, and we know that you need more than one touch point. No kidding. So that's something that we have to make sure schools are also embedding into their programming and after school and parent outreach as well. I find it so ironic that the young people are driving a lot of the save the planet, farm to table, live organically, like all this this healthful, long-term, environmentally friendly movements, and yet they also attach themselves to these behaviors and these, these activities that are self-destructive, counter to the environment, counter to their own personal environment. 
it's an it's an interesting irony. Yeah, it really is, and I think you know the companies that sell these products played such a large role in that um, and making them seem cool and safe and fun. And that's something else we started building into our program is the environmental piece because we had some high school students, middle school students ask what happens when these pods are discarded on the ground. And so we talk about that and you have to find those things that they're passionate about and get them fired up. And so the two things that we've actually three things that we've really found is the environmental piece Mm -hmm. that makes them want to do something, the cost. So how much they could save and what else they could buy for that, even if it's a new iPhone or new shoes, um, not funny. Right. They don't care about saving for a college education. But of course I'll not. Save for my oh. iPhone. <laughs> I'm not going to go down that path because I got big opinions on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then the third thing is just kind of being lied to and manipulated. That fires them up. And so those are messages that I think we can get this generation to want to change this issue and they have to do it in their own way. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's not just the environment like planet earth, it's their internal environment as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah. There was one other thing that I just went into my mind and now, Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. So there's so much of the cool factor of this right image, which there was with, you know, smoking, you know, tobacco smoking as well. Like how much of, the whole social media kids are so obsessed with their image and what other people think of them and the and the likes and the feedback and all of that that are the kids today even more vulnerable to that social um acceptance yes um you know anecdotally talking with just students in the schools that's their primary goal in life is to be liked uh, and you know unfortunately we have that social status now on social media where the number of likes you get, the number of comments you get, that makes you popular in their minds. And so, you know, that's a challenge. And I think talking about it, talking about media advocacy, talking about, um, you know, what are things that you value and help give you self-worth, not in those terms, but in youth-friendly terms, those all can help with this. And the other thing that's really interesting, there was a study out of California that came out this year where they linked um, e-cigarette use with connectedness in the school. And so how can we connect our young people in their school, in their community, to really boost that self-esteem and self-confidence that would likely link them to saying no to using some of these things because they have other things that they know they're good at and that make them cool. Yeah, totally. So does any of this, how much of the supplies, we're talking mostly about young people and their susceptibility and their usages of, of all this, but older people are doing it too. Is there anything different that older people need to be aware of, do differently, or are they the same lessons for them in terms of you know, social acceptability, what are you doing to your internal environment? You're physically vulnerable. It's not really better for you than combustibles. Um, any different advice or other advice for older people? Um, you know, I think that it's changed. Just observationally, I was at a concert a couple months ago, and I saw moms 
you know, using these products, and it was almost like they were trying to be cool to use them. Mm. So they were using, either they were using with their younger kids, and not under 18, but, you know, college-age kids, or they were with a group of friends and just kind of making it out to be this fun scene. And I probably was just gaping at them, going, what in the world is happening right now? And so I think a lot of the same influences can happen with adults. And, um, you know, one, they need to be aware that they're also at risk for dependence, even if they're just using it on the weekends. Um, And they also are going to be at risk for some of these health consequences that we've already talked about. And the other thing I didn't, I don't think we really got into, but if people are using these products next to you, you know, you're being exposed to that secondhand aerosol. And new research comes out every day on what that's doing to all of us. And so I think, you know, down the road, we're going to be talking more and more about secondhand aerosol. But I think adults can really be mindful of that as well. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point. And you mentioned it briefly before. Research is, this is such a new industry. They don't have long-term knowledge about any of this because 10 years is nothing in the long-term land of research on a behavior like this and on a drug like this. Exactly. So I'm hopeful that we don't have to wait 50, 60 years to have a Surgeon General's report come out and say, you know, we knew this was bad for us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Duh. Right. Right. All right. Well, Dr. Melinda Ix, thank you so much. The work you're doing at University of Kentucky, the Twitter handle, I can end, hashtag I can end the trend. Thank you very much for helping our youth stay safe. Thank you so much for your time, and I appreciate your willingness to have an open conversation about this. It's been really fun, and I'm happy to have folks contact me if they have questions or want to get involved in this effort. Great. All right. And we'll have all your contact information on the description page with this podcast. Thanks so much. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm talking to Dr. Melinda Ix, faculty associate for the Kentucky Center for Smoke-Free Policy, about the rise in vaping and the many myths about it. Vaping is just the latest recreational substance being used and abused by our young people, putting their health and their futures at risk. Most frightening is the level of misunderstanding about the dangers of vaping and the vulnerability of kids and teens to it. Finding the truth and clearly communicating it about highly charged topics is at the root of Bottom Line's actionable expert advice. Bottom Line Personal is filled with information and advice from America's leading experts on not just addictive substances, but on all aspects of your life, including living a disease-free life, travel, health insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.